slash and cast. All right, folks. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin. Here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with actor Michael Antonakos about Assassin's Creed, Alexios, storytelling through performance, method acting on set, and more. As always, thanks for listening. And if you decide to leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice, send us a screenshot on any social media platform to get a shout out on one of our episodes and a discount on future merch items. Anyway, Without further ado, here you go. My name is Alexios. I hear you are in need of Mythos to rid these lands of all monsters, madness, and magic. and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Just to get us started here, Michael, take us back in time to when you were a kid. You know, were you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? Ooh, at different points, all of the above, for sure. More on the book reading, then went to troublemaking. Fort building. Oh, I guess I'll, I'll start with fort building to book reading to troublemaking. I was born in Greece. I lived there until I was about three, and then I moved to Canada, and I grew up in a lot of different places in Canada. I grew up primarily Alberta, so Edmonton, and then I moved to Lake Louise, Banff, went to school there for many years, then went to Golden, BC, just over the border. Yeah, basically grew up in the Rockies, grew up in the mountains, grew up in the valleys, grew up all in that kind of world, nature life, until about grade 11, and then I moved to Victoria, BC, just outside of Vancouver on the island, and finished high school and went to university and then moved to Vancouver and I've kind of been in Vancouver ever since. Yeah, I live in Toronto for a bit working on AC and stuff, but other than that, I've lived in Vancouver since then. Now, is it fair to say that you were a class clown? Very much so. I mean, I was definitely a troublemaker. (laughs) But I I was just weird in between. Like, I was the guy who was, I would do the morning announcements in my school. I was all part of, like, the top groups in the school that you would do things. And I I did all these really great things. And then I would do something just what teachers would consider awful. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I would, I, I was a guy who also had list and I remember graduating high elementary school grade eight or seven eight somewhere in there and I had a diploma given to me of all the lines and dictionary words I had to write out all year and it was just this big thick thing because I've just done so many so many things that I just broke the rules I didn't care hey, <laughs> you gotta you're just you gotta a push kid. the limits you gotta right. push the limits <laughs> you gotta see what you can get away with you know oh yeah I mean grade grade eight or nine I, I faked an epileptic seizure on a, on a substitute teacher once um <laughs> <laughs> my acting side has been there forever so yeah, yeah. 
the subs always get in the worst. I was a very good negotiator because I was such a good student at the same time. So I did these massive pranks, and it balanced it balanced out. You knew how to you know keep your head above the water. Everything, everything's <laughs> politics, man. Not lying there. Do you have a eureka moment you can point to to where maybe you started becoming interested in the arts? Maybe a performance or play or something that you saw? Absolutely. My mom was a dancer. She she grew up ballet dancer, so she was a choreographer. That got me later in my teens into that side of things. I got into it naturally. I think because I was a bit of a... My parents divorced when I was about five, I guess, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. My dad moved back to Greece, and I was going through a tumultuous period of my life, and I felt probably very alone in my personal self, and I, I moved to a new town um, when I moved to Lake Louise and Banff. I didn't have friends. I didn't really feel good in anything about my life, and I remember... I auditioned for a play, Little Red Riding Hood, and this is like grade two. And I auditioned for the the role of the grandmother. And I like went home that night and I prayed and I was like, I really want to play this role. And I, there was two girls who auditioned for it as well. And I just prayed to God and then I got this role. I was like, wow, okay, cool. So I'm playing this fun role. I'm on stage, you know, after we've done all the rehearsals. And I just remember doing something, like I remember now, I don't know what it was, but I just remember hearing the first time I'd heard an audience laugh at something I did. And it was an overwhelming sensation, like overwhelming sensation. I I really didn't, I was just like, what the F is this? I was like, this is amazing. My self-esteem was probably so low at the time that I was like, I I I need whatever this is, which... uh... Uh, I'll be honest, like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to sugarcoat that aspect of it, but it led me to something beautiful, it led yeah. me to something I really liked, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the the, the whole performance aspect, and it was in that moment, I was like, I want to do this again. I want mm-hmm. to do this again. I don't know what this is, but I love it, and I want to do it again, and that got me just more into theater, and then there was a, a Rocky Mountain Shakespeare Company in Lake Louise. I joined because my stepfather at the time was a part of it, and I just started falling in love with Shakespeare and theater in general and just seeing different types of theater and I started volunteering for them and doing all their ticket sales and then I do like little parts like Mustard Seed and I'm in Summer Night's Dream and I'm just a little kid backstage just like in in love with this whole process and it wasn't till later probably grade 9, 10, somewhere in there that I, I was doing a play and it was the first time I'd ever experienced, I was playing an old man in this play, I'm trying to remember what it's called but I can't right now and you, you could literally feel a pin drop from the silence and from holding the tension and I never experienced that either to that moment. That was it, I saw the, I saw the masks, I saw the, the happy and the sad, I saw you can captivate and hold an audience in a suspension of disbelief into their complete opposite emotions and you're conveying this character and this story and this message to these people and they're captivated and it's mm-hmm. entertaining but it's also soul riveting you're to me i fell in love with stories too like i didn't just fall in love with the performing i was like no no the stories are what connect people and the performance is the soul my soul is connecting with yours so that you feel something but it's how do we transfer these stories into the hearts and minds of others and i just fell in love fell in love grade 10 i was producing hamlet on my own I was full bore. And then I got into dancing and singing, musical theater. I just went right at it every way I could. So that first play was my biggest spark. And then I just continued to grow and evolve and learn more and more and more. And then I went to university for a bit and I'd already been doing musicals for a few years at that point, fell in love. 
And then I moved to Vancouver. And I was like, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give it a shot. and go going to film a TV. It took a while. It took me a long time. And then I just f- r- randomly fell into video games and voiceover work by an audition back in 2002. That changed my whole trajectory in video games. kind of changed everything for me. I loved it. When it comes to musicals and a traditional play, say you yeah. just have free range, which one do you prefer? So many venues to acting. Because you've got musical theater... But then you've got proscenium, you've got black box, you've got all these different styles of performing in theater. And then you transfer to video games, which is kind of a fusion between theater and film. And then you've got TV, which is like standing, talking head world. I mean that sarcastically, yeah, but yeah. there's a, the generality of it. And then you've got, you know, voiceover and all these other elements, even in the voiceover world themselves. So like there's, and then there's different types of theater. I think there's nothing like a live audience to whatever you're doing. There's nothing like it because you're feeding off each other. Do you still perform on stage? When I can. I haven't in a few years just because life has been interesting. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the theaters were shut down for a couple of years. I was doing video games for quite a few years straight so I didn't have the ability or time because it's all scheduling and you need to do rehearsals for six to eight weeks. And So I would like to do some theater again soon, but it's been a while. And I'd say motion capture is kind of this happy medium for me or performance capture because it, it still feels like I'm playing like I'm in theater land. Um, yeah. A lot of imagination and physical performance and, and it's very fun in the volume, but it's probably my favorite way to perform actually because I don't have to think about anything. I really don't. All I think about is my performance. I don't have to think about others as far as the audience and how I'm standing as much I'm really captivated into like I just don a character with my skin and think about it the same as I would a puppet on stage I don't have to think about how I look that's really what it is I don't have to think about how I look I just perform how I feel and so there's something very freeing in that you're the third person in as many weeks to say the exact same thing about motion capture. I spoke with uh, Roger Clark and Ben Davis. They were oh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, those guys. Uh, both theater guys said the same exact thing that you just said, that motion capture is a happy medium of theater and screen, and it just feels freeing. And that they prefer to work that way now, since they're yeah. spoiled. Yeah, you're in a skin-tight <laughs> bodysuit, and you're like, this is the best day ever! <laughs> It really is. It's an actor's playground. You really, it's like being back in the black box or being in, in the imagination land of your mind with other people, just creating worlds. And I think that, that to me is the, the real art of it. If you're on stage, is it different than if you would be on screen? Would you approach yes. the role differently? I don't approach the role differently. I don't approach the, the homework differently as far as the character, the intention, the, the, the paper, like writing down what's going on. All of that stuff and me connecting with another person, none of that changes. How it changes for me is, someone said this a long time ago to me, and I always loved it, but is distance. It's the distance from, I always think about who's viewing it. And I always consider that. I never make it about just me. I'm always like the audience. So what audience is, is viewing it. And so because I'm right in this camera, I know people aren't going to see me, but because I'm in a close-up shot, I'm not going to show you everything else. I only need to show you my eyes and my thoughts. But once you're full-bodied and you see my whole being, well, I want to show you more with my physical performance. And so my body will tell you a story more on the stage because you're going to see my whole body performing and not you won't be able to see what's going on behind my eyes only. I do consider all of those things. And so it, your physical performance is a little bit more freeing but you still have to consider you know where are your audience so i have to stand a certain way i have to open up to them with a three-quarter stance you never go like profile you're always <laughs> kind of like open you know there's a lot of techniques you have to that are different i would say that's it the techniques for the medium you're performing for are different but the heart of your character and the emotion and all that stays the same it's just distance and volume really gotcha well said 
So when it comes to all the roles that you've played on stage, do you have a personal favorite? Did you ever play Macbeth or anything like that? Oh, let's see. <laughs> Good questions. You know, <laughs> one of my favorite roles is a very obscure play. It's called Forty Deuce, and it's based on 42nd Street. It takes place in mm -hmm. 1979, and it, it's about young male prostitutes in that time and drugs and it's a really hard world it's a really tough world for them and my little brother had passed away a few years prior to that play and i remember getting it and he'd gone through some drug issues and, and i just remember reading it and i was like you know what i'm gonna do this and i, I really i'm i'm i want to do it not because he had this life exactly because it wasn't but there was an element of it of that tough road and I saw that and I wanted to feel that and I wanted to honor that part of his life that he had a tough road. And so I, I did that role remembering that aspect of it. And it was a tough role. It was, you know, you're going through drug overdosing, kids having to be prostituted, all this kind of stuff. And it was a very challenging role on the psyche and still to me really impactful role in my life that I remember doing. And sometimes you gotta do hard roles to feel stuff that you don't necessarily wanna feel, but you do it because there's value in it. And it's important to not shut those emotions and feelings away, but to experience them so you're more humble. How old were you at that time when you did that play? I'd probably 29, 28, 29. But I was playing like a 20 year old, so it was a bit older than the character, but it was still fine. Just the idea of, yeah, feeling out that experience. You know, a lot of 26 year olds still play Romeo at 14, yeah. 15. <laughs> you just touched on like emotionally difficult roles. To a layman like myself, we always hear the term method acting thrown out there. What does that term mean to you and do you employ it at all? I always say that I'm not like for or against anything. It depends on the role. It depends on what you're doing and it depends on the production. I think method acting has value in certain circumstances. Do I think it works well in a comedy? No. <laughs> I, I, I just don't. <laughs> and I watch Man on the Moon, but Man on the Moon isn't a, com isn't a comedy. It's, it's a documentary to Jim Carrey. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a literal, and it's his idol. So it was Jim Carrey's idol performing someone. And he's like, well, God, how do I perform my idol? Well, I think for him, what he did was to embody him as close as he could. And if that's what it took for him to get there, to feel the essence of, of the truth of, you know, Andy um, Kaufman. Kaufman, then so be it. The work showed it. And in the end, that's the result it got. Can I judge it? Apart from that, I don't know. I, I, that's not up to me. My left foot would never be my left foot without Daniel Day-Lewis, right? Like it would just, it wouldn't exist. That type of commitment and the honoring of that, a person in that circumstance. And I'm sorry the production had to, to experience that, but that's what it's like to be with someone who can't move their left foot and you're making a movie about them. So it's actually humbling for everybody. Right. So yes, there's value in that to me. And I know his story of getting into that role and I commend him. And I think there's there's certain times in a certain place. Do I think it's right for everything? Absolutely not. Would I bring method acting to the motion capture studio? Mm, probably not. There's no point. There's no value in there for me to do it. But if I was to portray a character for real and like make it as truthful as possible and have to embody that as truthfully and I finding a hard time getting there by living my daily life, well, then I might say I need some time for me to feel presenced by this other person yeah. in myself and really try to honor that as closely in every aspect of my day. Do I think Jared Leto needed to do that for the Batman? No. <laughs> Sorry, Jared Leto. Right. I did. There's a time and place for everything. <laughs> There's you know? a time and a place. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> so have you worked on a production where one of your fellow actors is pretty into the method acting method i guess i should say you know i haven't experienced too many people go too hard method in my career i'm just thinking back i'm probably the most intense person i've worked with okay. <laughs> yeah there might be one other person i remember on on uh, one show that was pretty awesome, he was pushing me hard, and I was like, this is good. But I'm usually the guy people make fun of after uh, when we're playing the cast and stuff, because I'm usually the one doing crazy warm-ups and getting into zones and using all these nutty techniques. And people are like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait till the camera turns on. Go! <laughs> But I like it. I, I enjoy the process of getting out of my own way. It's not an easy task to get out of our heads. So I do enjoy the process. So how did that transition from stage to screen happen for you? Slowly, when I moved to Vancouver, I started auditioning and I had very little experience. I just remember jumping in and you make a lot of mistakes. I learned the road of hard knocks for sure in my early days of making all the bold choices and a lot of them were good and a lot of them were really bad. <laughs> but some pay off, you know. The transition was was unique. It, for me, the, the process of going inward in your work because I was so expressive and bringing all of it inside took me a while. As a theater actor, you, you are very well trained to express. And in film, you're trained to basically impress it in your thoughts and let the camera do the work. You feel it, you feel it, but you don't show it. You feel it, the camera will pick up everything. You just feel the feelings. That took me a while to understand how to get into that place. So what was the first job? My first job? Oh gosh, dude, you're making me go back so hard and so far. <laughs> I remember my first fun job, big job that I did, and I'll go with that one because I'm just, I can't remember what was before that, but I know there was. It was Young Blades. It was a Musketeer TV series. Do oh, you want me to and tell you what IMDb says your first job was? Yes, please. Reefer Madness. Does it say that's my first job? Is that what it says, yep. eh? It's Reefer Madness, the movie musical. Okay, well, it might have been. It was definitely <laughs> around that time. That was a fun, that was a fun, I was literally doing a chorus line, um, the musical, on stage, and... I had invited the whole cast to come audition for Reefer Madness with me. <laughs> they did. And I think four or five of us all got on the, got into Reefer Madness because we were dancing. It was all dancing and stuff like that and singing. And I remember working with Alan Cummings and Nev Campbell. Yeah, it was, it was a really fun production. Yeah, that, maybe, that was one of my first ones for sure. That would be one yeah. of my first ones. I didn't mean to interrupt you. We can go back to Young Blades. I yeah, yeah. To let you know. You never, I, I never know because the dates are always strange whenever the production starts and ends yeah. but yeah that was definitely one of my first jobs that's so funny it was a great job it was a lot of fun and one of my first introductions to the film world for sure if you just scroll across your cbs list of credits here you've appeared across some of my personal favorite shows you got friend once upon a time supernatural i mean is there anything that you take away working on these high profile shows that you carry on with you even if it's only one episode you know those are big time productions yeah, there's always stuff to take away. I've never not taken away something from a show. I've learned something. You learn things to not do again, or you learn how productions work in a way you don't love, or you learn how things can be amazing. Uh, like you can end up on the editing room floor just because 
whatever or they could cut most of your lines in in a moment because they're like okay well let's cut all these things and then you're like okay well then that's most of my scene every production i've ever been a part of i learned something from the production itself and i learned something from the other actors i get to watch mm. and i watch a lot i watch how they perform i watch how people conduct themselves on set i watch how just the world works and moves and there's nothing i haven't learned on a set for sure every time there's something Subtly or big, doesn't matter. There's something right. I've, I've gained. Yeah. Emulating someone that's more accomplished or better than you is a good practice, you know, for any any oh, realm yeah. you're working in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And for me, like, VO boosts are the best when you're working with a bunch of other voice actors because you get to watch them right there, and they're just doing the craziest stuff, and you're just like, that's awesome! And, like, you have to go, I have to be able to do that! So... <laughs> Then you, you give yourself permission. Once you watch someone else do something, I always find you end up giving yourself permission. I'm glad you said that. Since you've, you love motion capture so much, do you feel constrained when you do traditional voice acting, quote-unquote voice acting now in a booth where you just read the lines and that's all? They're different. They have their, their uses. I, I mean, I do like voice acting, especially animation is really fun. I love, I actually really like doing commercials. I do a lot of really? commercials. Yeah, and I've done like Old Spice, I've done a bunch of them, and like I love commercials because there's a really wild technique to how the pattern of the script can be hit so it's it's technically really fun for me but i like animation a lot because you've got to give yourself permission to be crazy you got to go from like deep guy voice blah 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 to like this crazy guy and you're like having conversations and whatever and you're just in it you've got to be crazy and different sounds accents people and like i have friends who play like three characters and they'll talk to each other in a scene without cutting they'll be able to do all three characters. And I'm always like, ah, that's that's incredible. That's talent. So it is, it mm-hmm. is. It takes a lot of work to be able to do stuff like that. And I like the freedom of it. The part I love about motion capture or performance capture is the physical freedom and the commitment to the character. Because like I said, I don't really have to think about how I'm looking. I don't know where the camera's necessarily gonna be exactly. I have a rough idea. So I'm just really in it. I treat it like film where I'm super committed to my character. I'm also committed to the physicality of the character because i know Mm. he's going to be animated and that's really fun for me so there's there's you get to dawn on one deeper element to it so i don't Mm. have the makeup i don't have any of the stuff to put on top i don't have the costume so everything is literally in my imagination and i like that i like playing weird aliens or odd (laughs) creatures or you know i was doing lord of the rings with my first lord of the rings was my first big project actually the video game that was my first job okay and uh you reminded me and that was my first motion capture performance capture job was that what game was that the third age wow they did motion capture way back then on those yeah that's crazy and that was before ea even was ea like the way it is now it had a a little studio working out of Vancouver Film Studios here. And it was old school technology compared to today. We literally had these gum dots we had to put on our face to do facial capture and sit in a chair. And they were like, I called them the snot balls <laughs> and they would capture facial movements. It was a very different, yeah, it was very different back then, but yeah. the essence was always there. The truth of the work right. was always underneath it, but I just got more and more skilled at it. Yeah, the more and more you talk about it, motion capture seems, I guess why a lot of actors would like it is you're tapping into pure imagination. You know, it's just you and yourself and the character. There's no external sources. Just your scene partners. Other than yeah. that, that's it. Yeah. I like that. So uh, let's talk Assassin's Creed. All right. <laughs> Alexios is here. <laughs> Were you aware of the franchise going into the 
recording? I was aware. I didn't know much about it. I remember auditioning for it. All it had was like Greek warrior and that was it greek warrior didn't get anything else and they had this script from the walking dead and you had to learn the protagonist and antagonist of the scene both against each other you know talking to each other and so you had to learn both and then you had to audition for both and so i just created different looks for each guy and different feel and voice and i sent that in and then they called my agent within a couple of days and flew me to Toronto for some callbacks. And I remember going into this room with a bunch of female actresses at one at a time and just going through the rounds with all these female actresses. And I just, just playing, I was playing and doing the scenes and we'd switch from protagonist to antagonist. And it was really fun, but I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. And then the next day we did a motion capture audition in the studio in the suits. And it was supposed to be between me and a female that they chose, but they didn't choose one. So it ended up, I arrived there and there was another guy and I getting changed together. And I was like, hey, what are you auditioning for? And he's telling me, I was like, interesting. I was like, I wonder, no, they wouldn't do this. I wonder. Okay. So he and I have become really good friends. It was really fun. He didn't, hadn't done motion capture at the time. So I gave him a bunch of tips and pointers and like what to do. Cause I was like, I really want us to have a good experience rather than spending time learning how to do this. So I helped him out. We went in, we got all ready. And then they did, they did exactly what I was like, no way. So we had an act off. It was him and I in the studio for the role pretty much. They had us going for, God, I couple hours I think back and wow. forth. Wow. Yeah, they'd switch roles, switch sides of the room, you'd have to copy each other's recorded performances on a camera and then you have to do all this stuff. It was wild. I remember leaving going, wow, that was crazy. I, I just had an act off with another actor with the same role. <laughs> <laughs> Did he end up and getting on the show? On the he's, game? He, he's Alcibiades. Ah, um, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's a very, very wonderful, wonderful person, Tyrone Savage, and him and I have become very, very close friends. I love him to bits. It really just came down to whatever they were looking for, and I'm just grateful it was me. <laughs> <laughs> but Tyrone is one talented actor. I loved Alki Biazzi, so I'd never want anyone else to play him. <laughs> were you given much direction for Alexios' voice? No. <laughs> oh, so it was just, it just came out I, of it. I, I literally, I when I had a feeling i was like i think this is assassin's creed so i went back i started watching old clips from other games and i ended up watching a lot of Ezio because i like and i liked his stuff because it was in italy so i was like well italy's really similar yeah. as far as location wise to greece and i saw what he was doing i was like okay well i like the feel this guy's brought to it and i saw there was a bunch of other games now in different fields i was like well i'll bring an element of what he's doing so that's where i brought the bass part the baritone element to the voice so i brought that in and then the other element was just like i had this picture of a warrior guy and that was it hooded and i couldn't tell much about it, it was a tiny little pixelated thing and i just started using that as my image and then i was like well what if i made like a greek batman so i took <clears throat> whatever i thought bruce wayne would be <laughs> it's really what it was i was like okay what bruce wayne sound like to me and then i added on the greek accent voila that was alexios and so there was alexios was that basically greek batman and then for when he got angry i took the 90s wolverine from um, <laughs> x-men card i took that like wolverine sound he has that mm -hmm. grass so whenever alexios got angry he had that same it was like so his anger brought that part out that's literally how i built him in the beginning and i just remember i was supposed to come out and do a test shoot and i literally arrived and the whole place is full of people and other actors i was like oh my god are we shooting am i hired am i even like i thought i was doing a test thing the place is full <laughs> and, and we're, we're shooting the the stuff in in athens at the basically with socrates and everyone at the Symposium. The party, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I the got symposium. You. I got you. That, that's the scene when I arrive at the symposium for the first time. And I didn't even know I had the job. <laughs> so 
I'm like, oh, okay. And I remember just like, I guess I'm just whipping out this voice and that's it. Okay, let's do it. So that's how Alexios was found. And uh, <laughs> and everyone, like the writers, like, oh, that reminds me of Ezio. I was like, oh, okay, good. Well, that was the hope. Um, <laughs> I was like, okay. That was it. And, and literally after that, it was more rounds of auditions to find the Cassandra. And then I just started recording. I really, it was, it was a whole, there was a whole... Another world of stuff that happened to even get to that stage, but I was I was running without a, a director for a few months. I think yeah, I just started recording and just started going. It was wild. It was wild. So no, I didn't I didn't have any any chance to work on it. What came out was what you got, and I had to stick with it. Hey, it was great. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's usually the best stuff, you know, if the stuff that just comes out of you. Yeah, it was a great experience. You know, it, it was figure it out as you go kind of experience. Yeah. Now, did you play any of it to see your work? I've watched almost everything. Gotcha. I haven't played it, though. You can yeah. do that. I mean, watching it, playing it, it's basically yeah. a movie. Yeah. No, I watched it actually for homework. I, I, I like to sit and watch because I like to see what works and what doesn't. And after the game came out, I learned a lot of stuff from fans and opinions and reviews, and I needed to see what was going on because it didn't make sense. And after I watched, I understood a lot of context to what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm. <laughs> well, like, why? Because uh, there was a lot of, I had a lot of backlash on certain things and opinions. I was like, that can't be right. And then I watched and I'm like, oh, I see. I see. Not technically all my fault here. And I could see why this is being observed this way. And I was like, okay, well, how can, what do I have control of in this situation? How can I adjust? How can I make this work knowing what I know? Which I don't really want to talk about too right, much. Right, no problem. But, um, yeah, but it's more just like you learn things as you go. You learn how big companies work. You learn how things happen. And you're just like, okay. So you've really got to look after your work too. So I really right. watched everything going, okay, great. Here's what I can fix to make it work with what I've got. And I started shifting and using the DLCs as an opportunity to adjust, to make those adjustments and clarify what I thought wasn't working in the game to fit in after as you continue to play the character so that it would fit into what I was seeing. It was basically a very powerful for me tool to watch all of it and, and go through it, become a better performer mm. in that medium. Now with you being Greek yourself, did you feel any sort of, I don't know, primordial uh, risings up going through uh, this whole Odyssey story and being this Greek hero? Absolutely. My family's <laughs> from a place called Mani, which is like part of Sparta. It's where mm. the Spartans went to after. They eventually became the Mafia. Uh, <laughs> there's a long history of money it's really it's really awesome oh, but uh tough tough people i felt very very honored to be able to one play this kind of character in the world and bring it forward you know what a, what a treat and to do something of my actual lineage was awesome and then to play like the greatest version of like your hero warrior character you could for yourself you know yeah like i get to create greek batman i was like let's do it uh so for me it was one of the best experiences i've ever had alexios is still one of my favorite characters i i hold with me like, I learned so much from playing that character, not just from the production side, but actually the, the character himself and I. Like, if you said I went method, Alexius is probably the closest I felt that connection to, where I was like, when I open my mouth, I felt like I'm breathing him at points. Yeah, that's... Uh, by the time I was near the end of that game, I felt like him and I are, there's no separation now. I feel like I understand him from childhood to adulthood and everything he's been through, and I just sympathize. I just jump into him. I'm like, there you are. Let's go. And right. I love him. I love him. And I took so many things from him and put it into my own life, which I have rarely done with characters. That's awesome. And when that connection is there between the actor and the character, 
we as the audience can tell, you know, and it, it, it the performance is better. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, if you liked it, that I'm yeah. so grateful. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I mean, I'm I'm replaying it right now, and I have all my friends uh, replaying it because it was recently on sale. <laughs> oh, sweet, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm making my way through Odyssey again. I've never played with Cassandra, so I'm gonna try. Oh, she's great too. She is. I love her to bits. We just, you know, her and I both agreed we really wanted a lot of humor because mm. Greeks are Greeks are funny, loud, and brash. Loud, brash, funny. So I was like, we really wanted to bring that element to it. And I thought, because it's so heavy of a story, the, we both thought the more humor, the more he- the better, and the heavier, the heavier stuff will be. It was always fun. I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head, but another voice actor that's really great in that game, on top of Alexios, is Marcos. Like, I will try to emulate that voice to my friends. You know, Marcos? To, yeah, Marcos. Oh. I'm not going to Alexios! <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I love Marcos. It's just a great character. Uh, I wanted to kill Marcos. <laughs> I can't blame Not the you. actor. Not the- I can't blame you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is a funny character, though. I love Varnavas. He was such a great actor, too. But also just, I loved that character. So, Michael, what is the best acting advice that you've received in your career? First thing that popped in my head was I was <laughs> I was working at Eddie Bauer, and I was going to university, and I couldn't decide whether I wanted to continue to go to university or to pursue it professionally and leave university because I was kind of bored. I'd already done years of performance on plays and theater and musical theater and all these great, wonderful venues I'd had the opportunity in. University was very politically based. (laughs) You couldn't even do a play in the first year. Yeah, so it was a lot of little things like that. And I was like, I remember one of the professors that came in, Teddy Bauer, and we ended up chatting. And he saw this little skit I did at the university, and he came up and just... We talked and complimented me on my work, and I was in the earlier years, and he was one of the older year professors, but he really liked what he saw. And he's just asked me, like, what do I want to do? What am I planning on? And I just said, I don't know. And I was at this strange crossroads at the time. And he just looked me in the eye and held me there and he said, you, I can see in you, you know, that you need to do this. You want to do this, but you've got to do this. And whatever anyone else thinks about it, it doesn't matter. And he's just like, holding me in this space in the middle of the store. Just basically, again, giving me full permission to take a risk bigger than I thought I deserved maybe at that time, or I believed at that time, or thought was possible, and to really step out into my discomfort by being true to myself. If I had anything to say to anyone about getting into this career, you gotta be as true to you as possible in a career that is so much not about being true to you and trying to please everyone else. And if you can do that and continue to be true to you and hold that space for you, no matter how how hard it gets and believe in yourself and hold that vision of what you're going to become, because you will if you truly believe it and work towards it and uh, feel that in yourself. Nothing can stop you, just you. Well said. So, Michael, uh, when you look back on your career, is there a specific role that was your most challenging, maybe one that kept you up at night, pulled your hair out over? Ooh. Now you're making me want to go through my, like, (laughs) resume. What was it? (laughs) I remember doing Prince Oberon in, in Edmonton at the Citadel Theater, and I was doing this incredible class we, we joined a troupe for a few months straight, training 12 hours a day for months. It was incredible. And then we went and did a play together and did uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and I'm playing King Oberon. And for me, at that point in my life where I was at and everything going on, I think tapping into 
whatever I needed to tap into for that role and that time in my life was probably the most challenging obstacle I've ever experienced as an actor, but also because of that grounded me as an actor and has improved me as an actor in so many ways. So I have a lot of gratitude for that very, very tough experience. And I don't think if I'd done that role, I would even be able to have done Alexios or even play Batman right now. I don't think I would I would have the skill, the skill for one, but the the skill gives you a sense of confidence and awareness about yourself that you didn't have. But to gain that skill took so much out of me and it was very heart-wrenching for me at that time. So because of that, it made me a deeper person and a more aware person not only of others but myself and by doing so that allowed me the opportunity to exemplify that in my characters that I was performing for. How far along in your career uh, were you when you played Oberon? You know what that was right after I did that play I told you about 40 Deuce. Oh so back to back you had some tough ones. I was yeah, I got hit with so many really challenging aspects within my life and performance and family and relation. Everything came into like this big crux of my life at that point, that two, two or three year period. And probably my most advanced school <laughs> I got in my life at that time. Life school, acting, it was everything all at once. And um, Hard knocks. <laughs> it was a really, it was a good hard knocks, yeah. That play, by the way, was uh, originally played by Kevin Bacon um, wow. in New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people don't know that that the character I played was the same one Kevin Bacon played, and I'm the second person to ever play it. Not a bad person to follow. No, <laughs> <laughs> I've been lucky. I'm I'm the first Reggie in the Archie comics on a musical in the world as well. No one wow. know that. Yeah, like damn man. <laughs> <laughs> that was way back in the day, but. I'm technically the very first Reggie in the world for a musical play. <laughs> and you're the only Alexios. And I'm the only Alexios. <laughs> Malaka. <laughs> Dude, I'm so happy I got to say Malaka so much. Like, I think of Malaka as Tony Montana says, I don't know if I can swear on here, but... You as, can swear, man. Go ahead. Okay. But it's basically, it says, Tony Montana says, fuck, I say Malaka. And it, I probably say it as much or more than he does in Scarface. <laughs> Yeah, I, my wife knows when I'm playing uh, Odyssey because I will just say Malaka, I'll stump my toe or something. <laughs> yeah, we made Malaka. It was popular word as I, you know, amongst people always, but it made it world famous. Yeah. And I was like, yes, <laughs> and to find so many different ways to say it, what a treat! That oh, yeah, was. you can fit it in anywhere. Oh yeah, look at a giant walking in a room, Malaka. Like you know, like. Get angry, Malaka. You just have so many different ways to do it. <laughs> so just a couple to wind down here, Michael. I'm going to cut you loose. No worries, no worries. I'm having a blast. So <laughs> it's great. So uh, have you seen any movies that have moved you recently? I really liked Coda, about a family who's deaf and a daughter who's not, and she's a singer. And just that, that premise alone was so good. And the acting was really incredible they all the whole family did a, a really great job and i just thought the story was fantastic and i remember that that one really moved me that won the um, oscar right it did okay it did actually okay. yeah so i have to say that one deserved all the credits it deserved it got because it, it was really it was really a good film my favorite film was top gun recently oh uh, yeah I, man what can i say it was like everything in one my childhood <laughs> feelings of happiness a really good story it, it was about the story backed with action it wasn't yeah. about action trying to fill a story in it it hit all the high notes it hit everything tom cruise still tom cruise <laughs> goes in my like exemplary file yeah uh of people in the world he's exemplary i, I don't know how else to put him 
you can just think whatever you want about him. He's still exemplary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when it comes to acting, you can't think much about him other than he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, you're like, the dude, the dude is committed. I don't care what you say. He's committed to, like, that part of his life like no one else. Like Daniel Day-Lewis is committed to that part of his life like no one else. Yeah. And that's what makes them exemplary to me. You just can't touch him. Lincoln was the last movie I saw in theaters twice because of oh, Daniel yeah. That was a great, great movie. He was Abraham Lincoln for eight months. Right? Yeah, I think he's more Abe than Abe. Yeah. <laughs> imagine? Like, that, that stuff just blows my mind. I'm like, dude, how do you live like that? I just, that's why it would, it would be hard for me if I had to do it. It would be a big challenge. I'd probably do more like what Heath Ledger did and lock myself in a hotel room because it's the only way I could. Yeah. I, I'd need to be away from everyone to find it. I don't know if I could go full method. I could definitely do that type of training where I need to go away, hide, get all the homework done internally, and then arrive on. That to me is the true of acting. I really do think if you do your homework enough, you don't need to necessarily do method. But I never say never because there can be a time and a place. (laughs) Exactly. So, Michael, is there anything on the horizon that you can tell us about without getting in too much trouble? I I don't know if if they've announced it or not. So I don't know. Yeah, there's another video game coming out, which I really like. Let me see if they've announced anything. Have you ever heard of the game Homeworld, Deserts of Karak? I have not. You can look that one up. uh, Let's just say if there was a sequel to something like that game, it'd be cool if I was in it. That's all I I won't even prod anymore. We don't need any kind of uh, NDAs popping up. Right, exactly. Yeah, a few other things on Horizon. I might be also producing soon, so that might be fun. I also write a lot, so we, we have a, just a backlog of scripts my writing partner and I have and working towards getting those made. So that might be happening hopefully by the new year. Start making our own projects too. I guess we'll have a lot to talk about next time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, awesome, man. I appreciate that a ton. All right, Mike, I'm going <laughs> to let you loose. Uh, thank you so much again, man. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was great. All right, folks, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Michael. As always, thanks for listening. Make sure to send us those reviews to get yourself a shout out and a discount. And we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. (laughs) Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, The untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.